welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Father, this whole thing is an act of faith. It's an act of faith for me to, to come up here and attempt to communicate your word, Lord. This is something that only you can do, and it requires you coming by your spirit and doing it. And so I come before you in faith that you will, as you have so faithfully come to feed your people and encourage us week after week. And Lord, it's an act of faith for these people that are standing here that have come to this place to hear from you. They, they've come in faith in all sorts of difficulties and distresses of the week and discouragements and hardships, things that only you know. Lord, that it's all that some people could do just to, to get themselves here and to get into these seats, and they've come because they believe you have a word for them, and we thank you that you do, and we pray that you'd speak. We want to hear only from you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You guys can be seated. So this is one of those little passages that you might just kind of gloss right over. You're like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know how to pronounce these names. You know, I, I'm just going to keep reading, you know, and you're... There's these high points of Philippians, and this you might just kind of see as like an interlude. But this passage has tons of goodness for us, just in these two verses. A couple of things this passage shows us. This passage shows us that we should expect conflict in the church. We'll see this is a passage about some conflict. And the New Testament church, the first century church, was a wonderful thing in, in so many ways, so faithful to the Lord. But it wasn't as if somehow the sinfulness of Christians was suspended during the first century. That somehow, you know, if we could only live back then and only be with them in the first century, that somehow we wouldn't have all these problems we have with each other. It was simpler then. But guys, let's not forget the time that Paul called out Peter at Antioch. You know, you have one apostle calling out publicly another apostle because of the way he treated the Gentiles. That was awkward. Or let's not forget the time there was a blow-up between Paul and Barnabas over whether John Mark should come on the missions trip, right? End up splitting into two different trips. Um, And that actually was another situation where people could really be shook by that, right? The New Testament, guys, is so practical about the reality that there's always been conflict in the church, We can see in Philippians so far, we saw that we are, if you trust in Jesus, that we're righteous in him, in Christ, that our lives are being made new because God himself has, by his spirit, caused Jesus' life to now dwell in us. But there's a huge gap between where we're at right now and what we shall be at the resurrection, right? Did you agree? Is your gap smaller than mine? There's a huge gap there, right? And in that huge gap, there's plenty of ways that we will sin against each other. We will sin against each other. I'll put it more personally. I will sin against you, and you will sin against me. It will happen. A lot of times people are like, I can't believe in the church this would happen. Why? There's no reason to believe that we're not going to have the same kind of conflicts we see in the New Testament. Also, this passage shows us how vital it is to the the mission of the church to make peace with each other. The, The way that Paul calls out these two women by name in this letter is actually really rare, and it's super awkward. You can imagine uh, Epaphroditus, who we've seen the last few weeks, they thought maybe he had died, they knew he was really sick. He comes back, and they're like, oh, he's alive, you know, and they're so excited to have Epaphroditus back. And then he goes, oh, it's better than that, I got a letter from Paul. And they're like, oh, that's great too. And then they all gather together like we are now, and, and uh, Epaphroditus or someone else reads the letter aloud, 
And they're so encouraged. There's all these amazing passages to live as Christ and to die as gain and all this wonderful stuff. And as they're going through, it comes to a place where the person reading says, and I entreat Eudia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. That would have been super awkward. You imagine they're probably at opposite sides of the room, right? And everybody's like, as they kind of leave, they're like, that was awkward, right? This passage also shows us that conflict shouldn't be avoided but stewarded. The gospel means that conflict is always an opportunity, right? Conflict is always an opportunity to apply the gospel, to see the power of the gospel, to transform lives and hearts. The gospel not only reconciles us to God, but it reconciles us to each other. It has the power to reconcile us to each other. And that's why every year we do some form of this message. I'm always on the lookout for it. I knew this was here. I was excited about it months ago. When we went through Romans, Romans 12, I was like, oh yeah, Romans 12. That's where I'm going to do it. And, you know, if there's ever a part where there's something about this, we do it. Some of you guys came in, you saw these Peacemaker handouts. Um, If you didn't get one, there's uh, lots of them around here. There's some here. Uh, Make sure you have one. Some of you guys came in and saw these Peacemaker handouts. You're like, I already have seven of these. They're in my Bible. My Bible's like the bindings being destroyed from how many of these I have. And uh, those of you guys have been with us a long time. You're like, I've already done this before. That's good. That's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Right? And this is one area that we really need to be equipped as a body. I'll put it even more practically. You need to be equipped for the holidays. Right? There's a real practical use of these things. We see two commands in this little text. And the two commands are a command to those that are in conflict. The command is agree in the Lord. And a command to the rest of us, help them. So we're going to look at those two. First, a command to those who are in conflict. He says in verse 2, I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Um, We don't know what started this conflict between these two women. It might have been theological is the way it started. Might have been practical ministry. We know they served together, so it might have been some way they were, you know, had a conflict about how they served together. It might have been personal. We don't know how it started, but we know it got personal. And because these two ladies are so influential in the church, something that started personal could very much become a church-wide issue because they were significant leaders in the church. Um, The fact that Paul calls out two women, one thing, just as a side note, shows how influential and important women have always been in the church. Paul doesn't call out these two ladies because they're just troublemakers. It's quite the opposite. Paul calls out these two ladies because of the amazing influence they have. These two ladies were vital ministry partners that Paul relied on heavily in Philippi. You can see that in verse 3. He said, They labored side by side with me, together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers. And like I said, it's actually quite rare for Paul to call out individuals by name in his letters like this. It happens every once in a while. I mean, he didn't even call out by name his enemies in chapter 2. But he makes a point at calling out these two ladies by name because of how important they are, how important their ministry is. The New Testament's very clear that only men can be uh, pastors, elders of the church. But it also teaches that the, the ministry of women is absolutely vital to the church. Church was built with the ministry of women. You can see that from... Jesus' mother, you know, Mary, the mother of Jesus and her ministry, or the women that ministered alongside Jesus. We know Mary and Martha, right? And we know uh, Salome and Mary Magdalene. And then a little bit later, the women that, that built the church alongside the apostles, Lydia, Priscilla, Junia, Chloe, uh, Phoebe, and then these two women, Eudia and Syntyche. It's, it's because of their great influence that Paul needs to address them because their disagreement could cause a greater rift. And even though he calls these people out in a very shocking way, it's actually really personal and it's really uh, warm. He says this, I entreat you, right? I entreat you. 
It's this very tender thing. And then he affirms their ministry. He's like, you guys have always been great in ministering with me. So it's actually a very warm and encouraging rebuke, even though it's kind of shocking in a way. So how do we do this? He tells them to agree in the Lord. How do we agree in the Lord? When we get in conflict with one another, not if, but when we get in conflict with one another, how do we make peace? And the key is to peacemaking is that there's no true peace without true forgiveness. And that's what we're going to walk through a little bit in the middle of this message is to look at there's no true peace without true forgiveness. That's true with us with God. We don't have peace with God unless we have forgiveness from God. And it's true with each other. You might have a ceasefire, but you don't have peace until there's forgiveness. So the goal of peacemaking is forgiveness. That's the target we're going after. So you might ask, well, what's forgiveness? Um, How do I know if I've truly forgiven someone? Maybe make it more practical. Don't assume you know, okay? We all assume we know what what forgiveness is. You know, sometimes we'll be talking to a friend or whatever, and we'll say something like, oh, I forgave her. And they're like, oh, well, doesn't sound like it. Like, the tone's interesting, you know? Or there's certain ongoing actions that show that there's just not forgiveness there, right? You might have a ceasefire, but you don't have forgiveness. True forgiveness of each other looks like the forgiveness we have ourselves in the gospel. A passage that Josh read earlier in Ephesians, at last verse, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. I'm like, okay, how? As God in Christ has forgiven you. That true forgiveness is giving to another person the same forgiveness you received from God. Right? That's what true forgiveness is. So it's a high bar, right? It's, it's a bar that can't be reached without the Holy Spirit, right? It's, a, it's that high of a bar. If you want to look at what true forgiveness is, take out this wonderful pamphlet I have for you guys. And uh, the second one down on the back is the four promises of forgiveness. And you've got some verses there, including Ephesians 4.32. These are the promises that I make to you when I forgive you. And they're based on the gospel. And here, here's what this sounds like. So if I say, I forgive you, I'm intending to say, I will not dwell on this incident. Okay? So people say, well, you know, I, I'll forgive it, but I can never forget it. Okay? Amnesia is not needed for forgiveness. What is needed for forgiveness is I'm not going to let it come to mind. When it does come to mind and I dwell on it, I'm going to repent of it. And that mirrors God's forgiveness of us. Uh, we read a passage earlier that as far as the east is from the west, so far are sins from us. God also says stuff like, I will remember their sins no more. God doesn't forget though, right? What does he do? He chooses not to bring your sins to mind when he thinks of you. And so we pattern after that when we promise, I will not dwell on it. And notice that promises of forgiveness are not just about actions, but attitudes here. I will not bring up this incident and use it against you, okay? Um, those of you who are married might really be disappointed. You have to actually give away ammunition for later. But I will not bring up this incident and use it against you. If we've really forgiven it, it's really as if it never happened. I will not talk to others about this incident. I'm very thankful that the Lord made me that promise in the gospel, that he's not talking to you guys about my incidents. But um, I will not talk to others. So if you find yourself and you're needing to bring it up, or you're needing to turn it over, even with your spouse, you need to bring it up again and stuff, that's a sign that you're not really forgiving. And then the last one, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our relationship. That would be any appropriate relationship. There might be certain situations where the relationship wasn't even appropriate to be in. Obviously, you're not going to continue that. But that you are not going to let unforgiveness hinder your personal relationship. So as you can see there, guys, that is a complete releasing of the debt. That's completely releasing somebody from their debt. Isn't that great? Even as you think about what the Lord's done for you, isn't it a beautiful thing to think about those promises that he's made to you in the gospel? And it's clarifying, right? 
It's super clarifying to know exactly what you're headed for. And I would suggest you memorize these, that you put them on your fridge, that you tattoo them on appropriate places of your body. I don't know, whatever you're going to do. But they're so important. That's why we do this every year. It's like, it's so true peacemaking has to get there. It's, it's a place where you've gotten to a place of confession. Per, one person's confessed, or maybe both have confessed, and then there's a granting of forgiveness. Okay, what does a confession look like? I'm glad you asked. And it's actually on the handout as well. Take a look. There's seven A's of a confession, okay? And by the way, this is not for you to judge the other person's confession. That's the trap of this, is that you're like, you're confessing to me, and I'm like, I missed one. (laughs) And you don't have the handout? You know, like, no. This is for you to judge your own confession, okay? But here's how, if I've sinned against you and I know I need to make this right, what do I need to do? This is what I need to do. Address everybody involved. It's seven A's. Avoid if, but, or maybe. Uh, many a uh, beautiful apology has been destroyed by if, but, or maybe. You know, really sorry for the way I hurt you. That was sin. I name the sin, and then I say something like, you know, but you kind of, you know, or I wouldn't have if you hadn't, you know, like, that's not needed. When we, when we confess our sin, we're confessing our sin. We need to be careful that we don't confess, like, I'm not confessing your sin when I'm confessing sin, you know? That's, I'm confessing my own. I'm eating dirt, right? You eat the dirt. Okay. Admit specifically. Important to use a Bible word when you're confessing sin. If you're confessing sin, it should be a sin, and you should be able to name it. So avoid words like, I'm sorry I've been frustrated lately. I'm sorry I've been snippy, irritable, touchy. Okay, those are not Bible words, unless you have, like, the message version. Maybe it's in there, but, like... <laughs> You need actual sins because you're wanting forgiveness, right? So I need to, like, confess a sin so I can be forgiven of a sin, okay? So use a sin word. That's really important, okay? And then uh, acknowledge the hurt, right? So you want to express sorrow for hurting the person. Accept the consequences. That could either be restitution in some cases or, you know, sometimes when there's a real breach of trust, it's going to be accepting that you're going to have to build trust over time and there's going to be some process there. Alter your behavior, okay? That would be both attitudes and actions, and then ask for forgiveness. Do you forgive me? Okay. What you want to avoid at this point is having it end with, uh, it's okay, don't worry about it. Okay. No, I want forgiveness. Or, you know, yeah, just forget it, don't worry about it, or it's okay, that kind of thing. Say, no, 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 do you forgive me? I want to be released from my debt. Doesn't it feel good, not just to be forgiven by God, but doesn't it feel good to be forgiven by other people? For them to like completely release you from the debt. That's what you want. You don't want it to end in a don't worry about it. It's like, well, I am worried about it. That's why I confessed a sin. Like, this is bad. I want to be forgiven. Okay? And so that's the kind of process. That's where we're trying to get to. And on the forgiver's side, when receiving this, let's be the kind of people that really forgive people. Like, really forgive your spouse. Like, no cold shoulder, no silent treatment. God doesn't do that to you when you confess your sin. Maybe you think he does. Maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe you do think he gives you the silent treatment and the cold shoulder for a while after you've repented of your sin. He doesn't. He immediately receives you, and we need to model that. Your kids, really forgive your kids. When you discipline your kids and they apologize, make it very clear to them that they're forgiven. Tell them. Tell them that it's as if it never happened. You're releasing them totally from their debt, right? You're like, that's a little risky because maybe the guilt hanging over them would kind of make them not do it again. That's not the way to do it. We completely release them from their debt, right? So forgiveness is a goal, is the goal of peacemaking. And there's a few ways to cheat, and I have a slide on this, and you also have it in your handout, but there's this thing called the slippery slope. There are ways to cheat in peacemaking, and it's right here, this slippery slope. 
All the things on the top here, overlooking, reconciling, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, accountability, we're going to talk about some of these, and they're defined right here. All this is legit peacemaking things that you could do, okay? That's the top here. But there are a couple ways to cheat, and you can see them on the side. There's the attack responses over here, and there's the avoidance responses, right? There's, there's uh, escape and attack. There's, there's peace fakers, and there's peace breakers. And all of us have a tendency in that area. Some of us are, you know, real conflict avoiders, and so we're peace fakers. Everything's fine. Maybe you guys grew up in a home like that. Everything was fine, and everything was not fine. But everything was fine. You're like, I don't know, maybe I'm crazy. I'm detecting some real hostility here. You know, that's peace faking. Or there's peace breaking. Some of you guys were in a home like that, and that can be quite scary as well. Both of them are scary, by the way. And we tend to all be one or the other, either a peace faker or a peace breaker. Sometimes we do both. And that's either by nature or by nurture. You know, our personalities come into play here. How we were raised comes into play here. Yudia and Syntyche, they would not have been taught biblical peacemaking growing up. They were both pagan converts. We know that from their names. Syntyche was named after the goddess of fortune. So not from a good Jewish household, um, naming your kids after the goddess of fortune, right? They would not have known how to deal with things. This is something we all need to learn. We all need to learn. We're all recovering peace fakers or peace breakers. And so you have two options when someone sins against you, when you're in conflict, you have two options. One of them is to overlook it or to confront it. Biblically, we have those two options. We can either overlook a sin or we can confront a sin. How do we know which to do? I have a diagram on that too. I made this one. It might be too small, but oh no, it's not too small. You can do this. I'll email it out too. So you have two options. We can either, if someone sins against you, you can either overlook it or confront it. We're going to kind of work through this whole, you like a schematic? Yeah, it's in your Bibles. I think it's like Matthew 19 or something. It's in there. So no, I'm just kidding. There's no schematics offered. Okay, what is overlooking? Overlooking, Proverbs 19.11. It says this, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. So what does it mean to overlook? When you overlook someone's sin against you, what you're doing is you're making those four promises of forgiveness without bringing it up. So you're going to forgive them without bringing it up. You're going to make that promise before God. I'll just forgive them. And you'll know if you're forgiving them because you're keeping those four promises, right? How, how do we know if we should overlook something? Because that's the real question is when, when you're sinned against, your first question should be, should I overlook this, right? And so how do we know if we should overlook a sin or not? A couple questions you could ask. Is the sin this person did against you, is this a habitual destructive pattern of sin? Okay, This is a habitual destructive pattern of sin. Now, all sin's destructive, but is this a pattern? Is this destructive to themselves, to their relationships, to their witness in the community, you know, to their whole life as a Christian? Is this a habitual destructive pattern? If it is, if that's a yes, you need to confront it. You really don't overlook those things. We don't want to overlook those things because we don't want to just like watch our friends drive their lives off cliffs. That's not loving. Like, man, that guy's headed for trouble. Oh, well, not my life. No, we're the body, so we care, right? And so we're going to confront it for their sake, right? And because we need to forgive. Um, the next one would, question would be, let's say it's not. The next question is, can you overlook it? Can you actually make the four promises of forgiveness? Are you going to actually forgive them? And I would just say here, if you are, tend to be a peace faker, and sometimes you think you're overlooking sin, but you're really just peace faking, I would just tell you, beware of bitterness. Bitterness is how you'll know. Bitterness is unforgiveness. That's what it is. Bitterness is a trap. Bitterness is poison. 
As it builds in your heart, you know you've not forgiven. It's a very clear sign. One of my favorite stories about bitterness is um, in South Africa, Nelson Mandela. He was unjustly imprisoned for 27 years. Do we have any 27-year-olds here or 26-year-olds? That'd be like your entire, you don't even want to raise your hands. Okay, it's a generational thing. They don't raise hands. Um, That would be your entire life, by the way, okay? 27 years of unjustly imprisonment. And this is what he said about when he was finally released. And he was released in a place where now he would have power. He went from prisoner to having power. And this is what he said. As I walked out the doors toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew that if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. And you guys know what that's like. Bitterness is a sign that we've not forgiven and that we need to confront. Okay, so that's overlooking. Next thing would be confronting. So how do we confront? What do we do? Matthew 18 is really great on this. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Jesus himself sketches out a little plan. This isn't his diagram, but this is what he said in a diagram form, okay? And this is what he said. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you have gained your brother. That's Matthew 18, 15. Um, One thing to notice about this is that gossip is never allowed, okay? In fact, there's no stage of this diagram where there's an arrow that says, yeah, go ahead and gossip about it, right? There's no place in which we are able to, like, go about getting advice from as many people as possible or seeking prayer from as many people as possible, right? There's subtle ways we know how to gossip. He says, go and tell him his fault alone between you and him. What's beautiful about what Jesus has here is he wants to keep this as small as possible as long as possible. There is a place to involve other people, but it's not in the beginning. And, and look at what he says. He says, if, if they listen, you have gained your brother or sister. I just think that's beautiful. And, and when we confront somebody that sinned against us, our goal is to gain them, is to win them. Our goal is not retaliation, ventilation, it's reconciliation. I want you back. I want to forgive you. And that changes the whole tone of the confrontation, right? If you're sensing this person's confronting me about my sin against them, but I really sense that what this person desperately wants to do is forgive me. They just need me to, like, recognize it and confess it. That changes the whole defensive posture, doesn't it? And you could even say this. I want to forgive you for this. I tried to overlook it, but we need to talk first. You know, it has a whole different tone. Changes the flavor. So many conflicts in the body, in our families, can be solved through this simple approach. Loving confrontation, receiving confession, granting forgiveness. Now, what if that doesn't work? What if that doesn't work? Jesus is aware that sometimes that won't work. If the two of you can't work it out, verse 16 of Matthew 18 says, but if he does not listen, it's like, can you imagine? Unbelievable. It happens. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence that you are through witnesses. Okay, this is called mediation. This is not your posse, by the way, because I think some people are like, you know, it didn't work out, so they grab a bunch of people with them, maybe just two. They tell them the whole thing, get them on their side, and it's like, let's round them up. You know, no, this is not your posse. This is your mediator, okay? Not your posse. Okay, so this is mediation. Let's go back to Philippians 4.3, because that's what we have in verse 3, is this level of mediation. He says this, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Do you see how this fits in? This true companion, we don't know who this true companion is, by the way. Um, There's a bunch of guesses here. It's probably not Epaphroditus, because it would have been easy to mention him. Probably not Clement, probably not Timothy, because he's not going to be there for a while. Perhaps this true companion is a person's name. In Greek, it's Syzygis, which would be a pretty awesome name. It'd be pretty cool in Scrabble, too. It's like... It's all those letters you can't get rid of in one name. Syzygis. 
It may be that it's a person's name that he's saying, hey, and I ask you, Syzygis, help out. Or it might be that Paul's just saying, hey, are there any true companions out there that could like help these two? Right? As if it's a call out to the body. Like, hey, here's an opportunity to be a true companion. You could come and you could help these two. This is a really beautiful passage because, guys, when there's a breach in the unity of the body, all the other parts of the body are meant to come in and fill the breach. Right? That's what happens in our physical bodies. I have this really cool diagram I did not draw about wound healing, which Darwin's going to put up here. But that's what happens when our skin is torn. Like your skin cells were separated, right? And you're bleeding and everything. There's these stages. There's hemostasis and inflammation, proliferation, and then remodeling. You see the little skin cells? They're separated from each other like Udia and Syntyche right here. And then there's this whole process, and look, they're back together again right? It's just like that. Because we're a body, right? And so because we're a body, you, other cells are going to come in. And it's really beautiful what happens here because, you know, you get a cut and the first thing that happens, like platelets, first cell that comes in, platelets come in, they stick to the edges and they kind of get blobby. So they're like, you know, stop the blood and they, they cause uh, activation of fibrin, which kind of like makes the little clot that you have right in the beginning. And then what's cool is neutrophils come in and macrophages, so they're different white blood cells. And the macrophages are like little Pac-Man. They come in, they start eating any bacteria that's there, dead cells. They're cleaning everything up so that they can get things ready to heal because you can't want skin going over bacteria and dead cells. So you got the macrophages coming in. And then there's these fibroblasts. There's other cells that come in and they secrete collagen and fibronectin. And they're going to make this like scaffolding that the little skin cells can crawl over later so they have something to crawl over. Isn't that cool? And then there's a really cool cell, myofibroblasts, which are really cool. There's cells that near the end, they're right there, that little green one there. And what they get in there and what they do, myo, meaning muscle, myofibroblasts. So they grab the two edges and they contract like a little muscle and they pull the wound together. Have you ever noticed your cut all of a sudden one day it goes whoop? Those are myofibroblasts. That's, that's syzygous right? That's the mediator. Be the myofibroblast, right? Yeah, isn't that exciting? Be the syzygous that we need. Okay, so a breach in the body, that's what it triggers, right? And, and really the myofibroblast, once again, the word here for help in this passage really fits that because the word for help here is a really strong personal action. It's used in the rest of the New Testament for arresting people, okay? So this is a very much like, hey, you guys, let's Let's do this. You know, let's not let this continue. Let's, let's help. Isn't that beautiful? So beautiful. I've never gotten applause by saying myofibroblast, <laughs> and I really feel like we've really reached a certain level of nerddom today, but, um, which I love, okay? But this is the body coming together to maintain unity. Notice that Paul says, agree in the Lord. What's really cool is he says, agree in the Lord. We already have unity in Christ, and what this peacemaking is about is about us manifesting it. Like we're already unified in Christ. And how is that? Well, each one of you are in Christ, are united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, right? So I'm united to Christ by the Spirit, and so are you, and you, and you, and you. It's like an Oprah moment. You get the Holy Spirit, and you get the No, but, uh, but uh, so we're all united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And because we're all united to Christ by the Holy Spirit, we're all united to each other in the Spirit, Right? That's called the communion of saints, right? So we have union in Christ and we have communion in the saints together in the Spirit. And what Paul's asking them to do is he's saying, live that out. Let's have that unity that you should have because we already have union in Christ. He says, agree in the Lord. Like you're in the Lord. Let's agree in the Lord. That communion, that union is unbreakable. We just need to evidence it. So at some point in your life in Christ, you will be called to be the true companion. Maybe you guys already have. Have you guys ever been in that position before? 
You ever needed to be the Sisygus, the true companion? Right. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's a really exciting thing to actually, and terrifying, to be in that position, to be the true companion, to be a mediator. So this is called mediation, and we're going to talk about what it is a little bit so that you're equipped to be the true companion at some point. I took this course in it. It was like a multi-day course by the people that made this handout. And it was really cool, really great teaching and stuff like that. But it also had role-playing, which was not really cool because I was not a drama kid. And so that was awful. But it was really neat where we actually like worked through how to do this. So what does it look like to be a mediator, a syzygous? Well, you, you get the two people together somehow. You talk to each of them. And you say, hey, this is something that we really need to, to work on. You're like, we need to really get you guys in the same room and talk it through. Get them together. You guys pray. Spend a lot of time praying you know, together, have each person pray, lay out the path of peacemaking, tell them that we're looking to get to a place of forgiveness and confession and forgiveness. And then you help each of them to tell the story of what happened from their point of view. You know, listen to it all through and don't interrupt and let the other person speak and really let them be heard. And then your job is to kind of facilitate that and then to help them to see where some forgiveness or confession is needed. And that might take multiple meetings, and that's okay. Because you don't want it to be like, you met for 15 minutes, you're like, well, my work's done here. It's like, we know better than that, right? We know that once we've gotten embittered, this isn't like a 20-minute deal, right? So it might be multiple meetings. In between, you could talk to each person and do what's called conflict coaching, which is you say to this person, you're like, hey, um, did you hear how, you know, did you hear how she kind of, she seemed to almost confess this sin here where she was kind of saying, you know, she did some things that weren't great. If she were to really confess that, like, wouldn't that be encouraging? Wouldn't you want to forgive her for that? And then, you know, on the other side to go like, hey, you know, you, you talked to, so you almost came to the point of confession. Like, you know, is that something you'd be willing to own? Because, you know, I think if you're willing to own that, he would forgive that. You know, and just kind of going back and forth, that's called conflict coaching. And what it's to do is there's these tracks, right? These train tracks of confession and forgiveness. We're trying to get them on the track and get them back together and to show them. So it's unpacking the word to show them the path. And the goal is always, of course, forgiveness. And this is something that, that will need to be followed up on, you know? So you get to a place of forgiveness. You would do some follow-up to just make sure, like, How's that forgiveness going? You know, are things good? You still good in your heart and everything? Maybe checking up on altered behavior. Is that something that's going to be assured in this? Is there going to be some altered behavior? So checking up on that. So there is some follow-up. But this is something any member of the body can do. Any spirit-indwelt, which is all Christians, spirit-indwelt, Bible-believing, trusting in the Lord, mature Christian could do something like this. You guys could do this. And you guys could use this in other places, too. If you're a teacher or you manage people in your work, these are principles you can use. I've used these in my work where, you know, they weren't Christians, but I used the principles of this is what forgiveness looks like. This is what, you know, and, and used it that way. I also had a chance. I got a cool picture of this. I had a chance to teach this in a Mongolian prison. Now, don't be shocked about how much younger I look in this picture. But so here's me. These are Mongolian prison guards. So I'm teaching them about this. We had handouts and all this stuff. And what's fun about this is I'm teaching under a picture of, like, the ultimate peacemaker, Genghis Khan. He's right here. <laughs> right here, Genghis Khan. He's on everything there. He's on their money. He's on their planes. Like, they love this guy, you know, so don't talk bad about him. But um, it was really cool. We kind of walked through the, uh, Matthew 18, and these are not believers. And then at the end, it was really cool. We had Bibles for him. It was like, hey, if you guys want a Bible, like, we got Bibles. And then show the next picture. These people, like, they went crazy for it. They, like, mobbed. They were so excited. They all want Bibles. And there was another funny part that I wasn't going to mention, but they wanted me to sign the Bibles. And <laughs> so apparently you give away books, you sign them. And so I'm like, 
I could sign the Bible, but I was trying to explain, like, so I didn't write the book, so just so you know, <laughs> but it was really funny. So there are signed Bibles in Mongolia. <laughs> they have my name in them, and I, I don't know how to feel. I think it's okay. So bottom line with this whole thing, guys, is we, we don't need to be afraid of conflict in the church. We don't have to avoid it. We have the way of Jesus, and when somebody sins against you, not if, but when, we have a, a way to do this, and there's plenty of people in the body that want to be helpful. So one other thing to realize, though, is when you're thinking about forgiveness, you need to realize that forgiveness is a promise and a process. This is really important because a lot of times we feel like, one, um, I can only forgive once I have no hurt. So if I don't feel it anymore, I'll forgive you. That's not the way forgiveness works. I make the promise of forgiveness while it still hurts very much, right? I'm not waiting till the hurt goes away. And it's a promise in that you're going, what you're doing is you're promising your future thoughts and actions toward them. As, as you look at these promises, these four promises, these are promises you're making long-term. This is a process, right? Um, dwelling in the Spirit so much that you can make these promises for the next weeks and months and years. I mean, this is something you're going to rely on the Lord for. This is something that's going to involve your whole process of sanctification. And so when you make those promises, you know, I forgive you, I'm going to give you forgiveness, you're not waiting until it doesn't hurt anymore. You're granting it when it still hurts and when you have no idea how you're going to keep the promise, okay? You're making these promises in faith. You're going to like, I promise to do this. I'm going to rely on the Lord. I'm going to rely on the Spirit to change me in this area. And I'm, I'm going to give you this forgiveness that I've been forgiven in Christ. Amen? So it's like you're going to put yourself out there to make the promise before the Lord and ask Him to help you keep it. And, you know, this is a picture of the cross, right? The cross shows us the, the pain of forgiveness. Our pain of forgiveness is a, is a picture of the cross. Some people say about, when they learn about the cross, they're like, well, why did God have to, you know, die on the cross for my sins? Why didn't he just forgive me? Why not just forgive me? But guys, any of us who have, who have forgiven great sins knows that there's no such thing as just forgiving. To forgive, guys, is to absorb the pain of another person's sin without dishing it back. That's what forgiveness is. It's to absorb the pain of another person's sin without dishing it back. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And so when we forgive somebody, especially of great sin, it's a reflection of the cross, how God himself absorbed the pain of our sin without dishing it back. True forgiveness is a painful process. It's like a crucifixion. Tim Keller said, Everyone who forgives great evil goes through a death into resurrection and experiences nails, blood, sweat, and tears. And so we rely on the Spirit, guys, to do that, to, to give us the grace to actually keep those promises of forgiveness. So it's a, it's a promise, and it's a, it's a painful process. So in closing, I just want to show you two motives that Paul gives in the text. Go back to Philippians uh, 4.3. Because this can be so difficult to really forgive, and it can be a, a painful process, it's a promise, um, he gives us two motives, kind of subtly, but I see two motives here in verse 3. He says, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. I actually see two motives there for why you should forgive other people, even though this is a painful, difficult process. And the two reasons here are, one, our mission in the gospel, and two, our hope in the gospel. Take a look at our mission in the gospel, verse three. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of the workers. Um, peacemaking, guys, our peacemaking of each other, our forgiveness of each other, is vital to our mission. 
Okay? Yodi and Syntyche had worked powerfully in the Spirit together. And the implication of this passage is, is that they've fallen off of it a bit, right? He's saying, you used to do this, you know? You used to minister so well. And, and what's happened is their conflict with each other is hindering their ministry. You guys ever experienced that? You guys ever experienced, like, church splits, church explosions, church meltdowns, right? Not explosions in a good way, but the meltdown type, Right? It hurts our ministry. Jesus said our visible unity to the world is a way that the world knows that they should believe in him. (laughs) In John 13, he says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. John 17, he says this, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. So the way the world knows that Jesus is really sent from the Father is by our unity with each other. And guys, we only have like, we only have like an incredibly brief window to make the gospel clear in our words and deeds. Our lives are incredibly short. And so sometimes people say that when they forgive. They go, well, I decided to forgive because, you know, life's short. Like, use it here. Like, we only have a very brief window to make the gospel clear to our community. And we should make peace with each other for the sake of our mission. But then he gives even a bigger motive. Check it out. He brings out bigger guns. At the very end, he says, this is great. He's telling these women, agree in the Lord. He's saying, Syzygis, you know, help out. And then he says this at the end to remind them, whose names are in the book of life. Isn't that amazing? Paul brings the big guns out here. He says, we should forgive one another as those whose names are written in the book of life. You know what the book of life is? So the book of life is the way the Lord speaks of like his registry of the people he knows are his. You know, it's, um, it's the list of every person who is righteous in Christ. And it's a really amazing thing to think about, to think about like your very name. If you're in Christ, your name is in the book of life. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that amazing? It's true though. Your name is in the book of life. And I, I want to show you why that matters. Turn to Revelation 20, verse 11. This is why it matters that your name's written in the book of life. This is why it should cause you to want to forgive others. It says in verse 11 of Revelation 20, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away. Can you imagine? Earth and sky fled away. Then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, and it's all of us, the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. As if there's a, this record, right, of all of our works, all of our sin. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and he- death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. What we have here is there's two ways to be judged on the final day. You could be judged according to the books, which is the record of your life, the things that you've done, the sins that you've committed. And and you say, well, I know I'm a sinner. You don't know the half of it. There's going to be all kinds of things in that book that we're like, oh, right, yeah, no, that's true too, right? We could either be judged by the books Or he says there's another option, which is we can be judged by this other book, the book of life, and it's open, and there's your name in it. And you bypass the judgment of 
your sins from the books. Isn't that amazing? You know, which do you want to be judged by? I mean, you certainly do not want to see how the books go. We already know. He already said. They all go in the lake of fire. We want to be found in the book of life. And if you turn from your sins and trust in Jesus this morning, you can be confident your name is in the book of life. Isn't that amazing? Not later when you've like kind of straightened yourself up or you're kind of doing a lot better, you know, had a good year. Immediately, you can know upon trusting in Christ that you're in that book. It's amazing, right? I mean, do, do any of you guys feel like right now, maybe you need to meditate on the passage for a while, but do any of you guys feel like profoundly relieved to know your name is in the book of life? It's like a profound relief, and that's nothing compared to the relief you will have then. And the feeling of joy that you're going to have in knowing that all of your sin is not counted against you. And I would just want to ask you, on that day, how small will the sins of others feel to you? You know? And how glad will you be that you decided to forgive them now? Right? And just imagine that wonderful feeling of hearing the verdict. You are fully forgiven. You are listed. You are in Christ. It's the verdict we already get to hear in the gospel. The gospel even now tells us the verdict in the future. It brings that future verdict into the present. If you trust in Jesus, you can know the verdict. But guys, that's what we give to others when we forgive them now. Instead of judging them based on what's written in the books, we're going to instead treat them as if they're righteous in Christ. And that's exactly what God has done for you. So guys, let's forgive as those whose name is written in the book of life. Let's pray. Father, even as uh, Josh was reading that passage in the Psalms and it said that, that you know our frame and that we're dust, I just love that. I'm so thankful for your patience with us. You have far more patience with us than anyone in this room has with us. And uh, you love us, you care for us. And I just pray for everyone that's in this room that they would, if they haven't already, cling to Jesus, turn from their sin, trust in Jesus, have the confidence on the final day that their name is written in the book of life. How amazing. How amazing that it is not by our works, but by just union with your son Jesus through faith. And we just thank you, Lord, that you did the brutally hard work of making our forgiveness possible. That, Father, you would give your own son for us. I wouldn't give my kids for anyone, and you, yet you gave your own son for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you very willingly came you were willing to take our place to endure the cross, the nails. And not only that, but the wrath. Lord, that you would endure that lake of fire for us. So thankful for that. And Holy Spirit, we're so thankful that you assisted Jesus in that act, that you gave him the strength to do it, and that you've opened our eyes to love that truth, to love him. Lord, we're so thankful for everyone that's here that just loves the sound of the gospel and loves you. That's you, Holy Spirit, of the reason. That you opened our eyes. You gave us new life. You filled us with a love for you. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help us, Holy Spirit, to confess whatever we need to confess to one another, to forgive whatever we need to forgive, and to just see the power of the gospel again. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. 
If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.